Let me show you how it's done. Well, well, welcome. You are listening to The Drop, Drop, Drop. podcast on business, tech, and influence. I am one half of The Drop, Tam Dania, head of strategy. I lead insights and product. I focus on tech, in particular, solutions that solve real-world problems. And I'm here with... My name is B. Pagels Minor. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I have been a product manager for over a decade at some of the world's most well-respected companies like Sprout Social, Apple, and Netflix. I've led teams that built important parts of the App Store, launched games at Netflix, built listening at Sprout Social. All in all, my DNA is fully being a product manager. I am Blair. I am based in Knoxville, Tennessee. I am a full-time product management coach. I started in product in 2011, jumped around to a bunch of different industries, including medical device, to literal actual concrete, to animal health, to luxury kitchen faucets. I started teaching product in 2017 and love it, still do. So much so that I decided to quit my corporate job in 2019, pre-pandemic, to coach full-time. And the premise is pretty simple. And that is, I believe that product management should be accessible to more people than I believe it currently is now. So I spend most of my days helping people with transferable skills, say customer success managers, consultants, scrum masters, et cetera, to pivot into product within a, a pretty quick time period, mostly 90 days. So that's my path. That's me as a product coach. Well, and, and so for the audiences, uh, Blair and I realized that we're both connected. And I just realized if you're from Tennessee, that's probably why we're connected, because I'm from Tennessee as well. So no that's really cool to meet another Southerner. Where? I'm, now I'm nosy. Oh, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. So. so I'm not from there, to be clear. I'm originally from the D.C. area, but I've lived in Knoxville for the last four years or so. Yeah, so I have a tendency if I find anyone who's in my industry that's from a state that I'm from, I just connect with them because I'm like, maybe you'll understand <laughs> how cool it is to both operate in that state, but then also like stand apart from it and think, how can we improve that state? So lovely, lovely. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Say hello to Sharika. Hello, everybody. I'm sorry to disappoint. I am not from the South. I am a regular schmegular degular Bronx chick. It's what I like to say. Uh, New Yorker to the bone. Um, my name is Sharika Winter. I'm CEO and co-founder of Thomas and Winter R&D. Uh, we are a research and development company that studies mostly males between the age of 25 and 45 um, and come out with products that are gender neutral just because people don't really study males and I find it quite intriguing. I also have been teaching products since 2014. I don't know why I've been doing it for so long. It's probably the longest job I've ever had, to be quite frank. Um, But I'm chilling. I like it. I went from everyday uh, two-hour courses to now doing mostly enterprise courses for large corporations. And then I also uh, consult for the National Institutes of Health um, doing product. So those are the things that I do. And be a I like to make a correction. You're far from regular schmegular. <laughs> Listen, Cardi B calls herself a regular schmegular Bronx chick. I knew that so. was a Cardi B line. I knew that was an understatement. <laughs> I know what that was. That's not a, that's not a job, Cardi, for being from you know, Bronx. Well, and I aspire to be as cool as everyone I've ever met from the Bronx. So, like, I agree that that description doesn't feel quite right based on my own interactions with folks. What is the role of product management from your perspective. I'll start with Sharika this time. 
I think product product in, in general is a disruptor. Someone who just kind of questions the initial thought that's given or the initial problem that's given and is comfortable in that unknown. I've noticed that once things are defined, you're in project, right? And product is really a matter of that that unknown, being comfortable there and and disrupting whatever comes your way, but but respectfully, not to disrupt, to be like, oh, I'm trying to come for Blair. I'm coming for the problem. Are we at the source of what we need? And so that's really what product is for me. And, and it's not necessarily just corporate. Like I tell people all the time, I apply product principles to my everyday life. Heck, how I walk my dog, um, literally. So it really is just a mindset of um, disruption. What do you tell these young cohorts that come to you? I want to be a product manager. Well, what is that? What I tell people first is that if you mm-hmm. ask 40 people, what is product management? You're going to get 63 answers. That's the first thing that I tell them. Sure. The second thing that I tell them is to keep it simple. And I believe that product management is, uh, or product manager is someone who creates solutions. What's yeah. the problem? What's the solution? And how do we rally a team to get it done? but not rest when it is like done because done yesterday may not be done tomorrow. So how are we comfortable with iterating to make sure that the problem is continually solved? Your problem solver. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting that you both, you both kind of came to the same point, which I, I, which is like one of those things that's interesting about product management is that you can say a lot of different things and you end up at kind of a similar idea, which is this is as much about product thinking as it is about actually being a product manager, right? And that's what's really cool about this. And in fact, when I consult with people all the time, I was like, I'm just trying to imbue every single part of this organization with product thinking because that's how you get exponential growth. That's how you get exponential results. And that's more important than what the title is, right? Because like everyone can have lots of titles, but there's a very big difference in people how people think product-wise. And that's the thing that we're trying to get people to really understand. I think the word product management does it a disservice because it's really about product strategy. It's a problem solving skill. It's a thinking skill. It is less about the management of a day to day task um, than it is about can you drive and steer this ship vision and purpose type of a thing. Right. Um, To that point. This controversial, maybe it's not. Is the product manager in this sense uh, a CEO or a collaborator? This is where I start thinking it gets really silly, right? Because mm-hmm. the answer is very meta to product, which is like, it depends slash it's both. You know, product managers so at times can be very decisive and then also very noncommittal, I believe. Put ourselves squarely in this, you are only a CEO box. I don't think it's accurate, nor do I think it's accurate that you're solely a collaborator. I think there are times when as a CEO, you are... Um, inspiring people towards a common vision. What you lack in that space, generally speaking, is authority. So it's not my business solely, right? Even though there are product managers who have that like GM kind of title, depending on the organization and industry that you're in. Um, But you typically, of course, lack that authority. However, do you absolutely need to be a collaborator? Yes. But so does everyone else in the organization. So what makes you different in that space? If I had to pick one, I'd say... I'm not, and I'm going to go with this both. Trika, what say you? I love what you said about collaborator, right? Like, we, we throw it around like an adjective, and I'm like, everybody's supposed to do that. So, uh, right? Um, and everybody's supposed to own their stuff, too. Product is just another team member that specializes in thought. It's an SME of thought, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not leading anything. I'm not necessarily looking to collaborate on anything. I can, 
right? Like I can walk around like I'm a boss and I got the last say and all that stuff. Like people like say, oh, it's my decision. Sure, whatever. Doesn't make much friends if that's how I'm a move. But all I'm saying is that I've mastered the thought of staying in my lane of thought. Like that's that's it. So I'm CEO in my own thoughts and I'm collaborating myself. Like <laughs> keeping it moving. But seriously, I I think we put a crown on the title. And it's hard for me to to accept that because a lot of people don't deserve the title in so many ways. Well, it's so funny, right? Because when I first started out, so my my first product management gig was in 2012, right? And it was very much in, in terms of that mantra of like, you're the CEO of this business, right? And you get to make the decisions and you get to tell people what to do. And then I actually started doing that and it, completely backfired like nobody wants to be told especially when you have a bunch of experts in the room right because you have engineers but no I'm, I'm not a ceo but i'm also not exactly a collaborator either right because collaborator seems to indicate in some way that um i i might move myself from what is best like you know like i i've, I've come to this conclusion based on all these different inputs and i might be easily moved because it makes it easier for the team to go, to move forward and in some ways, I am the rock in the stream, right? That's trying to be worn down, but refuses, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay there because it's so important for me to deliver my core value, which is delivering business value to my company and delivering, you know, tremendous delight or whatever value that is to my consumers of my product as well. And so I have to be a little bit of the unmovable rock on certain things because I have that personal responsibility based on what my role is. But no, I'm not a CEO. CEOs get to make decisions unilaterally that doesn't always make sense. I think people get caught up with the narcissistic nature of ownership. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Like we live in this hierarchical world that like, I hear people ask, like, product manager, will people report to me? No. Oh, uh, the product owner, so I'm owning something? No. Oh, um, it, it's like so many people are chasing it because it kind of gives them authority over others until it goes south. Then all of a sudden it's the engineer, and all of a sudden it's the designer, and all of a sudden somebody else but me, right? Um, and so I think we have to get over that idea of manager or owner or CEO or whatever, yeah, I think you made a good point. I'm just 10 toes down on this thought, right? Like, and, and, and in most cases, it's an assumption, right? And it's an assumption that I'm waiting for you to prove wrong. Mm-hmm. To that point, though, to that point, though, it, it, you know, that feels like it is a CEO in a way. It's not about ownership. I think that the prevailing um, assumption of what a CEO is does a disservice to what a CEO is. A CEO is a collaborator. But I feel like if it's the team's job to deliver value, it is the CEO's job to define value. And if the team cannot deliver value, you have to go back to the CEO and say, you didn't do a good job of defining value. And I feel like that is the role of the product manager as well. Not every decision is yours. You can't do everything. You can provide guidance, though. I'm giving you direction on where we need to go, and I need you to help me get over there. That is your role and responsibility as a collaborator. But as a CEO, you are held accountable. And as a product manager, you are held accountable if what you gave direction to do does not work. That is, at the end of the day, your responsibility. If it doesn't work, that is my responsibility. If it doesn't get delivered on time, that is also my responsibility. What I will say, though, is while I can be the juggernaut and bulldozer my way through these problems, I start doing that, I start losing teammates, right? Like, as a CEO, you're going you're gonna to tell me yes and do whatever because I have a level of authority. It's like, all right, bulldozer through it whether you like me or not. If I bulldozer through it in product, 
I lose. Sharika, bulldozing shouldn't be a characteristic of a CEO. That's a dictator. Steve Jobs took that approach of being a bulldozer and got out. Like that is the reality that that doesn't do well for the company. Bulldozing through and, and, and creating a toxic environment doesn't work at a, at a small level as a product manager or at a CEO level. He had to come back and be a collaborator. But still, that insight, that vision, here's what iTunes is, that was the tone that he said, this is what um, success looks like. And I think that that role, in order to be a powerful product manager, is more on that side than it is on the delivery side of the tasks. And, hey, what do you want to do versus what do you want to do? That type of thing. That's the distinction I think that I'm making in these two roles. I just want to point out one thing, because I think this might help, you know, kind of move the conversation. So we're also talking about different generations of product management. Right. Like, you know, I would argue that it's much harder to be a product manager in 2022 with the fact that there's just so much upheaval in the marketplace in general, how people expect to be treated, which which employers are out there and things like that. And so I do think that they're like we also might be talking a little bit about a generational thing. Right. Because there's a very big difference when I started product management in 2012 or when I was product manager in 2014 to 2022, which is a very different experience, because also we have remote work in a much higher level now than we've ever had it before. And so I just, I just want to point that out, because I do think that it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, proper, it's a, a certain amount of context there that I think is significant. I think the small detail that is missing is that the CEO being highest ranking, and to Sharika's point, it's just missing. You're not the highest ranking person. You mentioned something about having to be that unmoving rock like that is your 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 firm in your belief or firm in your position your position typically is something that advances the company i'm curious about how you've been successful i know i'm deviating a bit but i'm curious about how you've been successful in that like what are some tips tricks strategies that you'd offer people relative to maintaining that position um that candidly is difficult i think we've all been there but how do you do it yeah so first of all deviation is the name of the game right here in this podcast and also in life right because you have to move so when i say that you know you have to have a firm position that cannot be moved like the example for instance when i was at apple number one goal at apple is to delight customers right you know when you go to an apple product it's supposed to just work seamlessly it's supposed to be very easy it's supposed to be delightful so when i was building for the app store connect you know i would just easily say this does not delight the customer I am not building this thing, right? It, it completely goes against what our principles are. Or come back to me with something that delights the customer, right? So the unmoving, um, the unmoving rock type thing is about those core tenets of your product. They just, you, if you lose them, you lose your customer, right? And so that's so that's why it's easy not to deviate from those things. Now, on the flip side of it, if it's oh, like you know, we've always used blue for this type of button and now we want to move it to green okay i could i could be convinced to change that right just give me some research to make sure that people understand the difference or why this is going to have to be like that like like whatever we can move from there but those core tenets um those are the things you have to stick with and i always tell people you know when i'm a product manager is like i'm writing a book for you right so the book has a title it has a theme and then the chapters in that book they may fluctuate, right? Because, you know, there's some chapters where I'm like, oh, actually, I'm going to cut that from the book because this is actually, it no longer moves the plot forward, right? But these other parts of these, this is core to the story. And so I think that's the thing. And so it's also about explaining that, right? It's a like, you know, product management to a certain extent is another form of storytelling. You're just telling it to really sophisticated engineers and designers and CEOs and Wall Street and all these other people. And you're trying to explain to them this experience that they're going to get based on what you've, you know, you've researched and you've discovered about this particular cohort of consumers that you're trying to build this amazing product for. And you're like, please, you know, we have to make sure this book is a bestseller. 
And this is, these are the elements that are going to make it a bestseller. These are the things up here are throwaway. So I, I agree with you. Let's just throw those away. But these other things are super important. And, and that really has worked very well for me. And so it really comes down to this idea of like, you know, it's not just, can you build something that a consumer loves? It's that, can you build, can you create a plan that your company and your team members love and they can get behind? And so then it doesn't feel like you're the unmovable you know, rock. It actually feels like you're the person who's going to be the number one reason that they're successful. So it's converting that no into I am actually helping you and helping this company and making sure your family's taken care of. And it's just a really great way to kind of operate because then all of a sudden people start going to rooms and telling your story and you get there and they're like, oh, I already read the book. I love it. I'm going to build it for you. And that's the way you really yeah. kind of operate that. Um, so B and I are working on a project together and I sent B a brief three minutes, read this brief and tell me if you want in on this project. And it was like that. I agree 100% with the storytelling. It is the job of that product manager, whoever's the lead to create that vision and communicate that vision so that people understand. I do like the distinction that Blair made and a product manager is not. And that is probably the biggest distinction. Now we're in an age that, um, there's a whole process behind product management. To the point where now you're being consulted in order to do that. But when we started, there really wasn't this process to the way that it is now. I've heard so much more about processes in the last maybe two years than I've heard in my entire career, quite frankly. Um, and personally, I always cringe when I get a question like, what, what templates or what frameworks do you use? My response is always common sense. Of course, I know of a lot of frameworks, but I'm not this prescriptive. I don't start with a template and try to fill in the bullet points. Let me start there. To what end do these processes serve for, for product managers, um, for product management in an organization and as an individual? High level. I think we are trying to create some clarity, some level of predictability mm-hmm. in, a, in a sea of what can feel like chaos and just goo gobs of the ambiguity, which sure. I totally, totally understand. Yeah. Where I think they are misused is when we think that the template is going to create a good solution. Really, it's this place for me to go to when I'm like massively confused of, okay, I've got something to do. I've got to do this thing. What can I, what exercise, what mental exercise can I tinker with? Is it going to be the guide? No. Is, the, is it a calculator whereby the output of this template is mm-hmm. the answer to what I build? No, because this is how I tell students all the time. This is how we know the bots haven't taken us over yet because it's product building still relies on human thought, I believe, in human creativity and human ingenuity and no template. I don't care if it's AI powered, ML, whatever, it's going to get you to that, at least not yet. So I think to answer your question short is what, what purpose do they serve at this point? Is it's a mental exercise to get us thinking. Or what effect does it have in an organization that relies on process? Blair, it's this way of like, a way of navigating, right? Through yeah, an organization. No. yeah, it's not the end all be all, but it's a place to get started. What is the impact in an organization that places a, too much reliance or any reliance on these processes, right? And the thing is, is great product managers are very much not predictable, right? right? Steve Jobs, arguably one of the best product managers in the history of mankind, right? The, the, the guy just influenced the heck out of people, hired very well. But he right. was not really, he didn't really have hard skills in many areas other than just being you know, a person who ruthlessly understood how to make things simple, right? Okay. And so that's the thing, that's the thing that, that's kind of missing from, from this. It's like, you need that spice. You need those people who are very used to being kind of uncomfortable. I was, I, so I was a, a, a instructor at product school 
And it was like so fascinating to me because like they give you this whole document, like this whole thing that you're supposed to teach the, the, the students. And I would literally like every like five minutes, I'd be like, actually, that might not make sense in most circumstances, what they're telling you here. You actually probably should do this instead because this is actually how this experience would work for you. Right. And so having said that, like, I really think that it's a, it's a, it's actually this processes like, pro, you know, it, it's really kind of hurt people. It's hurt people's ability to be effective product managers. And I think that's also why you have a million product managers because people are trying to like throw more product managers at the problem instead of creating that product thinking, right. That we kind of all kind of hit on at some point and making people product thinkers who can navigate these complex and really confusing situations because it happens all the time it's like there's a hundred things you can do well sometimes it's just your gut that's going to tell you the right thing to do is there a fallacy to a company um in over relying on processes to b's point continuing on this b's line of now now there's process and we're teaching this process is there some danger to a company if they rely on process for innovation so i wrote down a couple things process grounds product and shows exposure Right. So when you are trying to interview someone for project uh, for product management, you can't see product. Yeah, you, you, it's very hard to describe on a resume because most resumes want to be quantitative. Right. Like it's like, what would you do? And, and it's weird. So I feel like we've been infusing process. Like, well, have you been exposed to this or have you been exposed to that? Or do you know these type of things? Because in most cases, the further you dig into it, the more experience I know you have. Right. Like everybody knows the Moscow, but uh, how about, what other stuff do you know? You know what I mean? Like and so I put that. I also said that process controls ownership. Right. Uh, gone are the days that uh, your standard company is going to trust you on the level that you used to be trust back in the day. Right. Mm-hmm. And so is there's too much money at the table right now. And so therefore put a process in there. Be you not running too far <laughs> before I just like scoops. Hold on a second. Let's figure out what happened and why you spending and why you doing this and doing that. And it's similar. Be you made a good point. It's similar to like the PMP. Worst test I've ever taken. Never take it again. But mm-hmm. I'll maintain it because I'm gonna stay pimped, right? Um, what I learned. Yes, Blair. A PMP. I am pimped. What you learn in the book has nothing to do with what I do in in practice. However, my ability to regurgitate what's in the book helps my respect level, which then gives me some lot of some amount of autonomy off of my execution. Right. Right. And so to to your question, Tam, is there danger in having process or does it limit innovation? There's danger if your hiring process is based on people's ability to always follow the plan versus mm-hmm. their exposure to the plan and they, the way how they navigated within the plan, within the process. If you rely too much on process, I do think innovation is hampered. Like, and, and so I think that was that's basically where we came out to this, is that innovation by itself, I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, like the big bang. You can't have the Zillow, right? You can't have Zillow offers happen because that is a tremendous detriment to your company. I am not sure if Zillow offers was a purely big bang attempt they might have been following processes a little too slowly. And I'm going to tell you this story. I was at last year. And understand that as a startup, it started 
as a group of people in a room who had no processes and figured this out and hit on something. And here they are, this really large company. And just for stats, they're, they're, they're not leading in this space at this point. And so here I come in as a design lead. How do we deliver better? Let us understand where our gaps are. And as part of my process, I'm trying to understand, well, what have you been doing all of this time, right? What does status quo look like? What does the current state look like? So I understand what the future state could be. They recently instituted this very mundane, this process, it's an agile process, took really long, like very detailed. I remember having a conversation and saying, it's the, this is probably the problem. You're trying to force people to follow these processes when the origin of this company did not follow a process. Instead, what you should be doing is teaching people how to see. They should know what it takes to take to make something uh, work. And the conversation that I had was, as companies grow, and this is where I'm getting into this next part of this conversation is, as companies go and they try to operationalize their excellence, this is when they start relying on processes to try to say, hey, let's all try to innovate. But the truth is, talent is really hard to scale. And now you start instituting these processes and people just start following the processes to varying results. And so one of the things I said to this client was, it is impossible to expect that everyone will only have good ideas. That is not a reasonable expectation. You shouldn't try to design for that. What you should be designing for is, how does a bad idea get this far? How did you as a company let this bad idea get out to the market just to shut it down? That is what you should be designing for. And this is more of a stage gating, right? There should be what I called a committee or a brain trust, kind of like what's going on at Pixar, where you have a group of people that say, this is not ready to go to the next level. You've not properly defined the problem. You've not properly defined the solution. I don't have enough evidence. There needs to be this kind of stage gating. And that has nothing to do with a process, because I can guarantee you, if you look at all of these innovative companies, just like B said, processes at the high level, when it comes down to the innovation team, almost no innovate, almost no processes. Look at um, Moonshot, the, the X lab of Google. No process. It's just, what are you seeing? Are we clear and can we agree on what we're seeing? Is this the right thing to move forward on? Is how we make decisions. Um, so, you know, it's weird. Yeah. So, so I just think that's so interesting because what, what this just reminded me of, so I was just rewatching some, some of the Motown story and how Barry Gordy would have every single one of them come to the space, everyone practice together, everyone sing together, the writers wrote together, the band's played together and they would make all the music they would make hundreds of songs like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs and then a, a committee of individuals like you know Smokey Robs, those people would listen to the music and if it didn't hit with them it didn't go out and that's so right. to your point this is this that's is something right. that's been going on since the 50s like that's this right. is not a new idea like the idea is let creative people go do creative yeah. stuff and then just double check it to, to, to make sure it's actually good right. to go like a side. So I, I get your point there. But you have to give creative people that freedom to go and create, right? And then come back home. But I think that that's the, the hard part, which is why you've been teaching uh, product management since 2014 and you're doing so well, Blair, is because, hold on, a top-notch fine chef is very hard to scale. There's no such thing as a chain of fine dining restaurants, Right. And so how are you going to create, replicate these geniuses or these really awesome over and over and over again? The, the answer is to just create this process around it and hope that magic can happen if we run this code over and over. What are your thoughts on that, Blair? You've been quiet for a while. 
Well, actually, I was going to can, can I ask a question? So it's, it's part of that. But Blair, as you answer this question, I would be kind of curious for you to provide some of the insights you found about people that you think have really great product management acumen. Yeah. And see, this is where I probably will rant a little bit because, um, yes, I believe that there's an over-reliance on processes for many of the reasons that you've already stated. So I won't go down that rabbit hole. But what I will say is that you, in, you interjected something really interesting, which was that there should be some stage gating, which like just tickled my elbow, right? Whereby this is the original product management process, waterfall, stage gate, phase gate, blah, blah, blah. The in which innovation in certain instances in modern times, right? You have to put all the, the, um, the points there, but may not live, right? We teach all like three of the, actually all four of us at some point, have taught product management by some very large organization that hires us to do this. And we teach the differences in which um, waterfall, stage gate, and, or agile, or lean, or some other process may make sense for innovation, right? So I think in 2022, and for the past several years, we've kind of pushed away from waterfall or stage gating in a lot of certain instances. However, but I, I, I align with your thinking of like, but what is the, what's the balance? It's not either or or black or white and it's super process oriented or completely free flow. Mm-hmm. It's not all agile and no stage gating or vice versa. Right. right. So I don't, I don't know that it's about <clears throat> the process per se more so than, and we, we've all said this, this is not novel, like the mindset. How do we teach people to think and to mm-hmm. be, to think, innovatively. And I think we are relying on process so much because product management is so new. Think about it. Disruptive innovation wasn't even dubbed as a term yeah. until like 1995. Yeah. Practically yesterday. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the wheel was invented like a billion years ago. Yet disruptive innovation as a term <laughs> is new. <laughs> so we're trying to like replicate that thing to get that spark and that magic back, but it's right to what end. And I think the onus is on organizations to determine what that balance is because what happens sure as anything that someone says this is the balance mm-hmm. some consulting firm says this this number two out of six is your balance and then every organization finds that tries to find that thing and it's like you've missed the mark it's not yeah. about doing that it's about finding the spark finding the process or the lack thereof that works for you you said something interesting though, right? Like this disruptive innovation, the term came out in 95, right? But the wheel came out, uh, you know, hundred, whatever years ago. And I think that that's part of, I wouldn't, I don't, problem is too strong of a word, but I think that is part of why we're in the environment that we are is the recognition of this term is so new that it's almost become a buzz term. Even though the term is maybe recent in 1995, innovation has been happening all of our life, right? Just right. by name, right? Uh, uh, Steve Jobs was a design thinker, even though he wasn't called a design thinker because that right. term didn't come till later. He B called him a product manager. I'm sure he never called himself a product manager, right? Like these, we can look at people and retroactively say, this is what you were, even though the word wasn't there. And I think that that is what organizations are missing, the ability to see. It's the mindset. It's not about the process. It's about knowing when to use that process, when to use that template. My response to like, what are some of those common um, themes or, or talents that I see in, in successful PMs? Um, and I'm Sharika, I'm curious in your in your take on this too, because I know that you've taught a ton of PMs and aspiring PMs. But the first thing has to be curiosity. 
has to be. I don't know any solid PM that has not been curious. Yeah. I was an inquisitive child. Like I was a person asking my mom and my dad, why, like, why, why that, why this? And someone should have said then, like in, in 92, you're probably going to make a PM <laughs> because of that inclusive mindset, right? So that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind is someone who's curious, someone who's comfortable with things changing, yeah. um, someone who can stay like focused on Focus like, what Say that again? Focus but fluid. Right. That's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Sharika, what are your thoughts there? Again, I got to write stuff down half the time. Um, I wrote down that I can't teach people to see. That's right. All I can do is teach you to identify your untapped ability to see. All right. So I can try to, I can try to ping at certain things like Blair, we can use certain keywords. And for some people that light's going to come on like, yo, that's it. Right. And I got it and I'm out. And other people are going to be like, well, this is way too, perfect example at work we I, I get frustrated sometimes because i'm like all right guys there's a pat there's a to b i need you to get from a to b and those who can see they're like all right it's 15 million ways for us to get from a to b we should start we might fall in the hole we might swing over we might swim over we might fly over we might jump over and then there are other people that just like i'm gonna need a little more detail i'm gonna mm-hmm. i'm gonna need to know um you know how soon would you like me to get there uh what are the tools that i have um what did you fail at before? Right? Like I can't teach the, I bet throw something over there and drop. Okay, cool. Next thing. You know? And so the only thing that I look for is someone's ability to realize that I don't have to do it that way. Right? Like, like it's like, okay, there's a process. Sure. But execution is 15 million ways. How are you going to do it? Right. And their comfort level with failure. Like, I was just talking to my boy earlier today. I was like, ah, it's just another teachable moment. He's like, I'm getting real tired of your little teachable moments. And I'm just like, (laughs) okay. Like, you know, like, I don't know what else to tell you. You, 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 you didn't do this well. And, and that's all, that's what I look for. People who are comfortable with the teachable moments and, and understand that I can't. So I shouldn't say this. Anybody can get a product job. That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know how choosy Blair is with who she coaches, but anybody can get a product job. Not everybody's going to be a part of an innovative product because a lot of pro- companies right now are looking for people to maintain status quo and you mm-hmm. maintain status quo with your title of product manager. Yes. Yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> oh my gosh, Sharika, I have to, I have to ask this question. So I, I actually just texted Tam this, but I'm going to ask the question because I think this is great. So one of the things Tam and I like to do is predict things, right? It's like, Hey, what do you think is going to happen? So right now we got the economic downturn. We have all these people already letting laying people off. We have companies in general just coming up with like much stricter guidelines and processes because they're so worried about their ability to survive the economic downturn. And we've just basically spent this whole time talking about how you probably need to let people go a little bit in order for them to actually innovate. So if you had to put some predictions on what's going to happen to innovation or what's going to happen to the role of a product manager, over the next few years as we, we go through this, I would love to hear what you have to say. Ooh. Spicy. Um, I think over the next three to five years, we're going to have half as many product managers. Ooh. Why? Yeah, why? 
the fear of failure is going to trump the fear the fear of success and the strong do you think product ma- do you think product, product managers are going to leave or do you think the companies are going to cut the product manager roles i think it's going to be both i think they're going to start cutting and people are going to start feeling it and then when they once you start cutting people start leaving hmm. um because if huh go ahead go ahead i'm if, sorry if things turn the way people think they are companies are going to be thirsty for innovation. They're going to be thirsty for somebody to be like, let's turn this way. They're going to have very little patience for, well, I don't know. No, I need you to throw spitballs at the ceiling and see which one sticks. And if you're not comfortable throwing the spitball up and it potentially hitting you to the top of your head, you got to go. Um, and hmm. so I think that's going to happen as far as who has the title of product manager. But I also think there's going to be another title that comes out of, out of the blue. And I don't know what that is yet. Um, but it's going to be the first set of survivors. The title's going to change. I'm holding you to that. I'm holding you. July 11th, two years from now, three years from now, we have a date. Yeah, we do that. Google we do that. Put it on the board. Yeah. What is, what is your prediction, Blair? I, I, don't, I don't share the same belief in full or same mm-hmm. prediction in full as Sharika. I believe that we've seen a lot of fragmentation, or I should say segmentation in product, right? Like B, when we joined Sharika 2, when we joined and became product managers over a decade ago, it was either pretty much product manager, maybe tech product manager, but it wasn't like product manager, comma, growth, or product manager, hyphen, supply chain. Like that wasn't a thing. I think that came out of necessity, yes, and out of a need for but we're solving this particular problem, but also um, from a uh, from a place of of maybe surplus or privilege. I don't know that that's going to persist. I can't. I think that we're going to start to di- converge a bit back to more of a focus of a of like an every person as opposed to like a super specialized product role. But I, I think in that Blair, that's where they're going to start cutting. Well, wait, let me finish. I don't know that there, I, I, I'm, I'm biased in this though, because I became a PM after getting laid off from my, from my safe business development role in the middle, because towards the tail end of the last recession. So my perspective is a little bit different on it and probably like a little biased, right? So I can, I can own that. Right. I would say that, yeah, are there going to be some folks who became PMs and realize that, ooh, shoot, this is real over here. Like, this may not be for me, who find their way out, whether forced or decided, yes. Do I think it's going to be, like, a traumatic, traumatic shift? No, I don't. I think it's when, when organizations are forced to, like, be scrappy, deal with less, deal with hardship, is when uh, the most innovation tends to come. So I think we're going to continue to see product management, maybe less focused in like the specializations. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be like a massive, massive shift, right? I think about last note on this. Remember maybe 10 years ago, we all knew a bunch of brand managers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm in branding. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be that. Think of this, I know like one, maybe two brand managers currently. <laughs> was once one of them was a PM, right? Yeah. So I don't think it's going to be that dramatic of a shift to like, man, remember PMs? I don't think it's going to be yeah. that. 
I'm in between the both. So, I, I, let me. I say I'm in between the both of Blair and Sharika, but for the reasons that Sharika said, there are going to be product managers who need to manage things, and um, there's going to be. I think there's going to be a growth in product managers. What I think is going to decline is the six figure salaries. They're going to. It's going to normalize out, right? Your local government's going to need a product manager to manage the city website, right? Eventually, they're going to get to that level where they're going to need to create digital experiences for the Gen Z that's now, um, uh, uh, you know, using their services. The government is going to deploy more product managers so that the healthcare.gov fiasco doesn't happen, or the the what is the the unemployment website is going to need a product. Man- they're going to call that a product manager in the future. It's not going to be the same product manager that Google has. But that local guy, what was called a webmaster before, right? Everybody had a webmaster, will now be the new product manager. It's happening now. Yeah. I know people yeah. in that role. It's happening right, right now. I believe that that's so, going to so happen. I think we're going to have a lot of fractional product roles, right? So for people who are truly product managers, I think there's two things that are going to happen. Either one, they're going to go out and do their own thing. So it's going to be a lot of entrepreneurs who are going to be founders and things like that. Because if you are truly a great product manager who can innovate. Why would you not go do it on your own bag so you can be very rich? I think that's one thing. And then the second part is, is for the people who are too scared to do that, I think you can have a lot of these like fractional product type things. And so for these folks, these companies that haven't been able to innovate, what's going to happen is they go out and get the real product managers and they bring them in for short stints to help them fix things. And, you know, I tell Tam all the time, I love soft things, you know, um, founder who is like, I have a 10,000 year plan. I was like, I like that because if they lose billions of dollars every like couple months, you know, they're like, oh, it's still, it's fine. We still got the, the 10,000 year plan. I'm like, cool. I was like, you're still on track. You're still totally on track. That's what a product manager does. Danny Ocean uh, from Ocean's Eleven, in my opinion. So if you were planning a heist, Ocean's Eleven style, uh, what character would you play? Blair. I'm Brad Pitt. I'm not George. I don't have to be yeah. the centerpiece. Um, well, and George can't keep a woman anyway. Well, and there's that, right? But I'm Rusty. I feel like Rusty was like, I understand the vision. I can I can play enough of these roles enough to be dangerous without being the, the quarterback. He was always eating. If you know me, I'm always nibbling on all the stuff. <laughs> he, he was. Yeah. I'm Rusty. Final answer. Sharika, where are you? Who are you? Who who's the one that he was always behind the computer? Who's the the, the Alfred? Oh, oh. Yeah. Huh? That that's me. <laughs> Why? Because I'm I'm gonna give y'all I'm gonna give y'all the space to do what y'all do. Like I'm gonna let this I'm gonna open this dam. I'm gonna open the Red Sea. I'm gonna part it. I'm gonna let y'all do what y'all do real quick. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, great. So it's it's the little guy who had to go into the safe, who basically never talked whatsoever, and then he oh, said like the one great line, and everyone was like. We didn't know you could talk, bro. And I was like, that's exactly who I am. Because I love to sit back and observe people. And like, like, and they, they, sometimes people don't think I'm paying attention at all. They'll be like, oh, it didn't even seem like it. And then I come back and I'm like, oh, by the way. And they're like, holy shit, we had no idea that you were actually paying attention this whole time. Thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast. We love having you. We love your feedback. Please do connect with us across social media. We are the Drops Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And we also have a great email, thedropspodcast at gmail.com. You can send in any questions that you have, and we definitely would love to answer them on the podcast. Feel free to ask just about anything because we have experienced a ton of different things. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast.